There's often a temptation on Good Friday, and uh, I think we've heard a bit about it this morning. The temptation to rush ahead, the urge to run towards Sunday without first fathoming the depths of the profound events of Good Friday. So my prayer this morning is that we would be fully present here and now, fully attentive to these moments as we remember the events of Good Friday. Why don't we pray together this morning as we begin. God, give us grace to understand that there is incredible treasure in the ground on which we stand today, here on this Good Friday. Father, it's so easy for us, and I believe it's so natural for us to want to rush through Good Friday. We want to resolve the dissonance. We want to just give sometimes a a sort of token acknowledgement to the events of Good Friday in order to get to the better, the celebratory, the the feel-good moments of this weekend. But Father, I believe that we need to be fully present in the awkward and the confusing and the tragic and even the broken moments of Good Friday in order to truly appreciate and value what's around the corner to once again stand amazed at the fact that you are the God who brings beauty out of brokenness. You bring triumph out of tragedy. And I can imagine that there are many here today that are perhaps living in brokenness. There are those whose lives have been touched recently by tragedy. And so perhaps Good Friday shouldn't feel unfamiliar to us. Maybe it meets us right where we are today. So, Father, wherever our hearts are today, I pray that we wouldn't be spectators, like a person on the side just kind of watching a procession pass by. Father, we want to hear your gentle voice again today for ourselves. We want something deeper than just surface agreement to some historical facts and events. We want your Holy Spirit to reveal the depth of your transforming love to us once again today. Father, we want something deeper than knowledge and and just knowing in our heads. Lord, we want to desire and we, 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 we need to experience your extravagant love for us again today in a new and a fresh way. So Holy Spirit, breathe on us. Fill us again with your fire and with your love. Reveal the depths of your love for us once again today in Jesus' name. Amen. I do believe that our Western uh, hyper-positive, good life-chasing methods don't mix so well with the message of suffering on Good Friday. And perhaps that's one of the main reasons why many people want to move quickly through today and get to the next thing. We want to get past the suffering, the death, and the dying to get to what some would term the happy stuff. But I think when we try to avoid the suffering and the humiliation and even the death of Christ we actually put ourselves out of balance with the message of the cross. We put ourselves out of balance with the message of Christ. So we need to be here. We need to be present this morning. And we're so glad that you are here with us. We're going to jump right in this morning. I don't want you to answer this question out loud, but I want you to think about this. What is your picture of God? And what I mean by that is, what, who do you believe God to be? What do you imagine God to be like? Think about it for a moment. It really is a fascinating question to ask people. I've asked this question to numerous people, a lot of times in a one-on-one conversation, and just hearing them answer and starting to use words that describe thoughts that come to mind about what their picture of God is. 
It's a good question to ask people. It's also a good question for us to consider on this Good Friday. Minister and author A.W. Tozer once wrote this. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I wonder, in the quietness of our hearts this morning, without speaking an answer out loud, what is your picture of God? What is God like? I know that for many of us here this morning, we probably know the answers we're supposed to give. Uh, We might even know some scriptures or some statements of belief from a church or some religious organization. But that's not really what I'm asking today. I'm asking deep inside of you, what is your picture of God? This past Sunday, Pastor Tracy eloquently shared part one of the good news from the Gospel of John, and that was extra, extra, read all about it, Jesus is God. And today on this Good Friday, I have the honor and privilege of sharing part two of the good news from the Gospel of John, and that is Jesus is love. When we are considering what our picture of God is like, we need to measure and evaluate our response by looking at Jesus. Whatever we believe God to be, whatever words or thoughts or pictures come to mind when I ask you what God is like, we need to look at Jesus and see if those thoughts and words and pictures are accurate or not. I love the quote from Archbishop Michael Ramsey. He said, God is Christ-like and in him is no unchristlikeness at all. It's a bit wordy, but I love it. It's a great way for us to understand things. I hope you find it helpful. I certainly have. Many times through my own life as I've reflected in life and and even on my experiences, I've realized that my picture of God was not so accurate. Uh, My picture of God had become a picture that was perhaps shaped more, more by my own personal, oftentimes negative experiences rather than looking at Jesus. In a matter of speaking, my picture of God needed an alignment. It needed to be corrected. Perhaps you might recognize the same pattern in your heart or maybe in your life today. Trevor Hudson says that a dysfunctional picture of God expresses itself in a dysfunctional way of living. And I would wholeheartedly agree with him. If you believe God to be an impersonal force, then you might lean toward a more vague and cold relationship with him. If you see God as a heavenly tyrant who wants to punish those who dare wander outside the scope of his laws, then I would guess that you probably don't have much joy in your walk with God. If you believe God to be a scrupulous bookkeeper that highlights every personal sin and shortcoming in your life, then you might not be comfortable bringing your brokenness and your struggles before him. And if you see God as a divine candy machine, basically just say a prayer and get what you want, you'll mostly likely end up very disillusioned and frustrated before very long. These are just a handful of examples among many, but I hope you get the point. If our picture of God is off, then our way of living will also be off. Thankfully, our picture of God can be redrawn. And perhaps Good Friday is a perfect place for us to put first things first. We're going to look at a scripture from John 19, verses 1 to 3, and then we're going to go down to verse 16 to 35. Then Pilate had Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip. The soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put a purple robe on him. Hail, King of the Jews, they mocked as they slapped him across the face. Down to verse 16. Then Pilate turned Jesus over to them to be crucified. 
So they took Jesus away. Carrying the cross by himself, he went to the place called the place of the skull, in Hebrew, Golgotha. There they nailed him to the cross. Two others were crucified with him, one on either side with Jesus between them. And Pilate posted a sign on the cross that read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. The place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek so that many people could read it. Then the leading priests objected and said to Pilate, change it from the king of the Jews to he said, I am king of the Jews. And Pilate replied to them, no, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they divided his clothes among the four of them. They also took his robe, but it was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said, rather than tearing it apart, let's throw dice for it. This fulfilled the scripture that says, they divided my garments among themselves and threw dice for my clothing. So that is what they did. Standing near the cross were Jesus' mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, dear woman, here is your son. And he said to this disciple, here is your mother. And from then on, this disciple took her into his home. Jesus knew that his mission was now finished, and to fulfill scripture, he said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch, and held it up to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It was the day of preparation and the Jewish leaders didn't want the bodies hanging there the next day, which was the Sabbath, and a very special Sabbath because it was Passover week. So they asked Pilate to hasten their deaths by ordering that their legs be broken. Then their bodies could be taken down. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the two men crucified with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead so they didn't break his legs. One of the soldiers, however, pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water flowed out. This report is from an eyewitness giving an accurate account. He speaks the truth so that you may continue to believe. Whenever I revisit the account of Good Friday in Scripture... I believe that Good Friday reminds us of a core and foundational truth when it comes to our picture of what God is like. As we recall the events of that first Good Friday, as we recall what Jesus endured for you and I in order to bring reconciliation, to bridge the gap between God and us, to show us love and give us abundant life, we must understand that Jesus is love. On that Good Friday, the cross, as gruesome as it was, became the most vivid demonstration imaginable of God's love for you and I. God loves the world in this way. When we reject him, when we mock him, even when we whip him and kill him, he rejects our rejection and chooses to love us anyway. He doesn't return evil with evil. He actually loves his enemies and continues to love them. Even on the cross, the arms of Jesus are open wide with loving welcome to all. 
with a stubborn invitation that rings out to us again and again and again. Come to me, whoever you are, whatever you've done, come to me. Let me love you. Let me forgive you. Let me set you free from whatever is holding you. And let me give you a full and significant life. Let me bring wholeness to your brokenness. I recently read a post from someone that said this, If Jesus hadn't suffered, I probably wouldn't believe that he loved me. It's an interesting thought. The post went on. It said, if he had ascended off into the sky before enduring the whip, the spit, the crown of thorns, and the cross, if on his way up, scarless and floating off into the sky, he called out, I love you, his words might now ring hollow. But it's the wounds of Christ that give the words of Christ authority. Without the wounds of Christ, I might have a more difficult time being convinced of his love for me. But Jesus did suffer. He bore our sorrow and our brokenness and our shame. He was humiliated, whipped, mocked, spit upon, and crucified. That's how we know God loves us. We know because of Jesus. So what comes to mind when you think about God? I'm not sure what you think or what your picture is, but my hope on this Good Friday is that you'll allow your thoughts to be shaped and perhaps refined and aligned by the incredible demonstration of costly, extravagant love that was shown to us through Jesus Christ as he laid down his life for us on the cross. In John 15, 13, John records Jesus saying, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus certainly spoke a lot about love, but what resonates with me again this year as I consider Good Friday is that Jesus backs it up. Jesus was not just giving us information about love. He was a demonstration of the incredible depth to which each of us is loved. God is love and we are loved thoroughly and completely, unconditionally and without reservation. It's incredible, even with all of our faults and shortcomings. We are fully known and yet we are fully loved. We need to let that soak in this morning. But this leads us to another critical belief. You see, if what we believe about God is important, and I believe it is, then what we believe about ourselves is also important. You see, it's one thing for us to meditate on and marvel at the depth of God's love for us this Good Friday, but it's another thing altogether to be at the point where it goes past just being information and where it leads us into life transformation. Because that's the point of God's love. It's to transform us by God's miraculous and supernatural power. As I thought about this message, I thought about so many people that I've spoken with through the years. I recalled many who just couldn't seem to receive God's love for various reasons. Some felt that they didn't measure up enough to receive his love. Others thought their value was tied to their accomplishments and perhaps they hadn't accomplished enough to deserve it. Others had the idea that their ability to receive love was tied to certain people needing to like them or approve of them. Some thought it was tied to their ability to control things and produce results in their life. Perhaps you might catch a glimpse of yourself in some of these examples. 
All these things and more are probably learned and reinforced from the culture around us on a daily basis. It's conditional. We do something and we are shown love. We are shown approval. We do something and we get something in return. Whatever the details, some people believe that they are unloved and perhaps that they are unlovable. But it's not true. It's a lie. And if you believe it, then you're robbing yourself from receiving the fullness of God's love in your life. Allow me the privilege of getting something clear for you on this Good Friday morning as we focus on the love of Jesus. God doesn't love you for who you are or anything that you do. Let that sink in for a moment, kind of like a crusty sponge. It might take a minute to start soaking in. Let me say it again. God doesn't love you for who you are or anything that you do. God loves you because of who he is and what he has done. And because this love for us is based in God, it's unchangeable and it's unshakable. It's utterly reliable and it's completely trustworthy. It really has nothing to do with who we are, what we do or don't do, our past, our present, anything about us for that matter. God loves you because of who he is and what he has done. I referred to a, a crusty sponge a moment ago, and I honestly think as I, I was trying to wrestle with how to, to put it, and that's the image that came to my mind, and I honestly believe that it fits as an illustration because this doesn't work as a, as a one-time acknowledgement of a truth and, and then you're all good. You see, this is a transformational truth that we are invited to marinate in again and again and again so that we can remind ourselves of how deeply we are loved by God. We are loved because he is love. Let me say this. If you're a person who has trouble receiving the love of God, if it's, if it's just a truth that you know and perhaps you can recite but you have trouble receiving its transforming power deep in your heart and your life, let me encourage you with this. You have to cling to this truth in those moments when you feel unlovable, when you feel unworthy, and when you are reminded of your brokenness. You have to come back to it again and again and again because I get it. It's so foreign to us to be loved so deeply and unconditionally. God's love isn't dependent on anything about you. It's dependent on who God is. He loves you beyond what you could ever comprehend. There's nothing that you can do to make him love you more, and there's nothing you can do to make him love you less. Let that set you free today. Consider this on Good Friday. In Jesus, we see perfect love, and because he is perfect love, we are perfectly loved. Deeper than something to know, I would challenge you to let God's love have a transforming effect on your life today, and not just today, but in every day moving forward. Let this incredible love transform you as John did, the one who wrote the gospel of John. You see, as you move forward in following Jesus, allow his transforming love to soak into your life and allow it to transform you. 
John, the author of uh, the Gospel of John, went from being known as a son of thunder and wanting to call down fire and judgment on people to being known simply as the disciple Jesus loved. It was in our passage again that we read this morning. We've been reminded about this curious title that he had for himself the last couple of weeks. John called himself the disciple Jesus loved. And we might laugh at such a title for yourself, but many experts believe that perhaps this was John's way of saying, my most important identity is not based in my name or who I am at all. My most important identity is simply being known as one who is loved by Jesus. That's how I want to be known. My prayer today is that each and every one of us would become so convinced, so persuaded of God's love for us personally, that we would live the same kind of transformed life that John lived. My prayer is that we might be able to say, my most important identity is not my name or who I am. It's not based in my accomplishments. It's not based in my past. It's not based in my possessions, my family heritage, my knowledge, my bank account, my job, my fashion, my social status, my anything or my lack thereof. But my most important identity is simply in being one who is loved by Jesus. Thank God for the truth of his word. Thank God for his incredible, deep, extravagant love for us. You see, I'll say it one last time. What we believe about God is important. What we believe about ourselves is important. Jesus is perfect love, and you are perfectly loved. Thank God. Father, thank you. Thank you for the revelation of your deep, extravagant love for us today. God, I pray that it would be more than just something that we can recite. May it be so much deeper than just recognizing a truth that we know. But Father, may your, may your love seep down deep into us and have its transforming effect on our life. May it be more than, than a truth than we, that we can recite, but Father, may it be a truth that changes our hearts and our lives, not just once, but each and every day. May we know we are loved because you are love. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.